Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. And actually, once you get to Matthew chapter 1, I want you to turn one more page back to the left, to where it says New Testament. Everything on your left-hand side, everything, the Old Testament, it is writ- was written to the Jews, it is their history, in the first five books, referred to as the Pentateuch, we have the history of creation, the flood, confusion of the languages, we get to know God, we get to know his faithfulness to Abraham as he called him and promised to him that he would make him a great nation and through his seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. It is the history, the beginning history of God's people Israel. It is the history of the kingdom of God in Israel, in the promised land. Once we get through the end of the history, beginning with the book of Job, through Song of Solomon, we have the poetic books. They may include some prophecies, just as they, there were some in the Old Testament. Everything following Psalms, or following Song of Solomon, to that page where it says New Testament, is written to uh, the prophetic books. Written by God's prophets, His call to the people of Israel to return to Him. And promised His promise of the Messiah. Now the promise of the Messiah would start all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 with the promise that the seed of woman would would crush the head of the serpent while sustaining a bruise to his heel. But the Old Testament is Jewish in nature. It is written to them and for them, about them, and it is written for us, for our learning. Everything to the right-hand side of that page that says New Testament is going to be the history of the life of Christ, the Gospels, the beginning history of the church and the book of Acts, and then from Romans through Jude. It's going to be letters that were written to the various congregations of God's people. It's going to be written to them and one individual, Philemon. Then the final book, the New Testament closes also with the book of prophecy, the revelation of John. It's revelation, not revelations. So just remember that. I'll never forget because I made that mistake in preaching challenge. And Ed Wharton said, it's revelation, not revelations. But anyway, we may be strong in our study of the New Testament, in our understanding of it because of our heritage. We recognize, because we recognize that we are, as Paul said in Romans chapter 6, I believe verse 14, that we are not under law, but under grace. Jeremiah prophesied in chapter 31 that God would bring about a new covenant. Saying, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. 
But this covenant, which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach each man again his neighbor and his, each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 8 would quote this passage and show that it was fulfilled. And saying in chapter, in chapter 8, verse 13, when he said a new covenant, he has made first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and old, growing old is ready to disappear. The book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians who were in danger of going back unto the dead law of Judaism. Paul said, or the writer said, not Paul, the writer said, God spoke through the prophet, through the fathers, then through the prophets, and now through his son. He placed Jesus, the son of God, who was both God and man, who has flesh in all aspects as we are, who is our high priest, to show that he was superior and the new way was superior, that the old had to be taken away because there was a new law, there had to be a new priesthood. And many other things that we could talk about as we were to study Hebrews, and someday we will do just that. Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, I think it is, that the law is a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, we see that the law was nailed to the cross with a new covenant, the nailing of the old to the cross. A new covenant brought in. My question is, and what I want to do, and it was when I was asked to preach at Desert Diamond on the, their lectureship on the 17th of December, it got me thinking because of the topic. My topic was on giving. And it talked about giving. It talked about the Old Testament. Is it tithes and offerings? And we'll talk about that, not today, but on another day. Because it's a brief series, and this lesson is to introduce this series. Because it got me thinking about doing that sermon, preparing for that sermon about giving, and the teaching that we do on giving. And the teaching that probably existed in the early church. And we are quick to say, well, no, tithing is done away with. And yes, as an aspect of the law, it's done away with. But was it taught in the early church? I believe that it probably was. Why? Because the Old Testament was given to us. Peter, or Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, the verse that we're all familiar with, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That was the body of teaching. Now, there was also ongoing revelation that the apostles would have and instruct people that they would write letters that were authoritative. As Paul told Timothy in his first letter in chapter 3, again in verse 15, in case I'm, I'm writing these things to you, verse 14, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God 
which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, and as I was reading through the Gospels, reading through the Sermon on the Mount, it got me thinking with what I did on, in December and what I'm doing now, what I got to this point. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20 says a lot, and I think sometimes we just rationalize it away. And we really don't think about what this meant. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Thinking, what things have we left out of our understanding and of our walk with God, our walk with Christ, by neglect of the Old Testament? By maybe just dismissing it as saying, well, that's the Old Testament. We're not under the Old Testament. You believe that I've heard preachers say one time that he knows that there are people in his congregation, if he's preaching a series from the Old Testament, they don't come? Because we're under the New Testament. We don't pay attention to the Old. And here's what we think about. He said, Jesus said, our Lord said, our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Who were the scribes? Well, they were writers. They were copyists. They were human copy machines. They became doctors of the law, interpreters of Scripture. According to William Barclay, the scribes would take what was written in the law and add to it. The religious leaders sought to improve upon the law by adding bylaws and to existing laws so as in their minds to make sure that no one came close to breaking the law. They thought that the law needed clarifications, and they and their superior wisdom were the wise ones, the ones wise enough to determine what these stipulations should be. But what that served to do was just to be a burden on the people. I mean, who inspired them to say, here's how you do this? But they were noble in trying to. Just imagine, go home today. Take the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Take any chapter of the Bible and hand copy it, word for word. Now, you'll get familiar with it right away. If you do that frequently in your lifetime, you will learn what the Bible says. You'll see things that you didn't say, see before, but sometimes you'll miss some of the overall picture because you're focused on the small. And when you're focused on words, they become words, and they all run together maybe. But they were noble people in their beginnings. They made three mistakes on a page, and they would count the letters, the words, the lines. Three mistakes, they'd throw that page away, and they would destroy it. They wouldn't cross it out, you know, scribble it out like we might do on a paper that we're writing on a note, they would burn it and start all over. Can you imagine getting to the end of a page and seeing that third mistake? And, oh, you just spent hours doing that maybe. Several minutes anyway. I don't know how long it might take. Today it might not take us as long with our modern writing instruments and paper, but it was then for them something that would have taken a little bit of time. Then they have to destroy it. 
But they got to know what God's Word said. The Pharisees, and we typically, what do you think when I say Pharisees? We typically look down upon them for their hypocrisy. But however, they were looked up to by many in their Jewish life, in their family and communities. Their name literally means separatists. They were probably the successors of the Assyrians, that is, the party of the pious, that originated in the time of Antiochus Epiphanes in a revolt against his heathenizing the things of God. They were extremely accurate and minute in all matters pertaining to the law of Moses. They read and studied and they probably memorized what it said. And you could ask them and with the scribes talking to them and working on it, they said, we want to be separate. You know, the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. According to his own words in the book of Acts, according to his own words in Philippians chapter 3, circumcised the eighth day of the you know, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew, as to the law of Pharisee. He was, you name it, he was one. But there was much more that was, and there was much more that was sound in their creed, yet their system of religion became a mere form and nothing more. They were religiously ex- on the externals, but the law was not written in their hearts. See, they missed the big picture by majoring in the minor picture. Their obedience was out of a sense of duty, not out of a sense of love and adoration, not out of a sense of, here my send me. They were not humble, and they were prideful. As I was reading in preparation, came across these two quotes, one from a woman by the name of Elizabeth Ockmeyer, talking about preaching from the Old Testament. She's saying the Old Testament is sacred history of God's words and acts that bear with them the gift and power of new life. Our people will never know the truth and never become new creatures until they enter into that sacred story. And ignorance of the Old Testament has serious consequences. If we in the church do not know the Old Testament and do not preach from it, we leave people with no means for properly understanding and appropriating the Christian faith. The law was a schoolmaster, Paul said, to lead the Jewish people to Christ. Gentiles needed to know those foundational points. They needed to know what God said in Genesis 3. Chapter and verse 15. They needed to know about Abraham and his call, about his sacrifice of Isaac on the altar. They needed to know God's calling them out of Egypt. And I'm summarizing the, some of the high points that we're familiar with. They needed to know those things so that they would know what? That God is faithful. That God will be with them. That God expects them to live righteously before him. A man by the name of Donald Gowan writes, The Old Testament is part of the broader canonical tradition preserved to us by the believing community so that a value, and so a valuable witness to what it means to believe in God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, therefore, constitutes, in my words, a valuable part, an invaluable part of the information we have about God, salvation, and living rightly. As Paul said in 1 Timothy 3, how one might know how to live. In the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, the church, the pillar and ground of the truth. The Old Testament, Paul said, was beneficial to us. It was profitable to us for reproof, 
for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Why? Because that's what they had. Those were the inspired scriptures that Paul was looking to. His hadn't been codified yet. His hadn't been put into the Bible that we have. So when he said those words, he was looking back. And so when he talked about rightly dividing the word of truth in chapter 2 and verse 15, he's talking about the Old Testament and understanding it and how it points to the new. Doctrine. Again, the nature of God, man, sin, many others. Reproof and correction, showing us that we may need to repent or that we do need to repent. Instruction in righteousness. Righteousness is being uh, living in accord with divine or moral law. Or how to live simply godly lives before him. There's much that we can learn from the Old Testament, and we must learn it. We can't just dismiss it. Paul said in Romans 15, verse 4, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Telling about Abraham, you talk about a man who persevered, how God was faithful to him when Abraham was less than faithful to God. There's some teaching there. They would learn as God didn't give up on Abraham, he won't give up on us. And Abraham finally got it right. And so when God said, offer up Isaac, your son, on the altar, he did it. No questions. No, but God, have you considered? No, uh, just let Ishmael be the child. None of that. It was Isaac sacrificing. He knew what that meant. That meant go take him up on the mountain, put him on an altar, cut his throat, and light a fire. And Isaac's asking when they're going up there... Dad, Father, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? God will provide. And God did. God provided. They looked over there in the thickets there was this ram. When God saw that Abraham would be faithful to him, he said, that's what I want. And that's what we must learn. They learned perseverance and encouragement to not give up. And John would write in the Revelation letter in chapter 2, about to the Ephesian church, be faithful unto death and you'll get a crown of life. The book of Revelation is just telling God's people to be faithful, to hang in there. You're going to win because I'm going to win. And you'll win with me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, as we've studied that recently in our adult class, Paul's writing about, in, verse, in chapter 10, verse 1 through Six, and I'll just, he talks about them, about being baptized into Moses. They passed through the sea, uh, ate the same spiritual food and drink. But some were laid low in the wilderness. I'm summarizing to get to verse six. Now, these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. So the Old Testament is filled with examples for us on how to live our lives. Say, look what God did to these people. And what are you doing that may be like that? That one could say is, this is kind of that, I mean, the grumbling at Moses, sons of Korah, the rebellion of them. The ground opened up, serpents that went in and bit them. God did that? Yeah. He expects us to live trusting in him. So what have we missed? 
As we look at all of this, and what, are, what am I saying? What have we missed? Friday night, Kathy and I went out to a movie, Hidden Figures. It's a good movie. I would recommend it. Its principal characters are three women, African-American, at a time in the 1960s when you didn't do anything. But they were smart people, smart women. Karen Goebel Johnson was a mathematician. She was just something. And she was called, they were called human computers. Because this was when IBM was coming out with their big mainframe. And these women and others, they were just making calculations and doing this math. And she was a genius. And she's called into the room. They're trying to do the trajectory for the Mercury re-entry vehicles. You know, the launch window, go and no go getting back down. Russia has already beat us to the punch. They put a Sputnik into orbit. They had a dog in it. And then they put a man into orbit and brought him back safely. And we're struggling with that. Problem was the re-entry trajectory. They couldn't get the math to work. And she's written all this formula up there, and they're amazed at some of the things that she's done just by hand. And so quickly, now obviously the movie compresses it, But uh, they're amazed, and they're just looking at it, staring at this huge blackboard. This math is just not working out. She says, no, the math always works. And she remembered an old formula. And she runs back, and she mentions the name of the formula. I forgot what it was, but, and I'm not a mathematician anyway. Uh, But she runs to her office, gets a book, and starts reading it and going through, and says, this is it. And she goes and does the calculations, and there it is. And John Glenn, when he was to go up, she worked out their trajectories for Alan Shepard and Gus Grissom. And when John Glenn was to go up, and they were having some problems, by that time the mainframe was online, and, but they come in and they say there's a mistake in the calculations. And I don't know if he actually did it or if it was movie drama, but he said, what does the girl say? Because when she was in a meeting with all of the bigwigs, and her boss turned to her and said, well, Karen, and she goes up on the board and writes a bunch of formula and does a big circle at the end of it and says, your launch window, your return point, give or take 20 miles in the Atlantic Ocean by the Bahamas somewhere. And so he supposedly said, what does she say? Because I'll go with what she says. The computer made a mistake, and she's there working on it, probably for a period of, in reality, 36 to 72 hours. She comes up with it. They check it. It's right. And the launch is a go, and runs into a problem, but he comes down, and she brings him down safely. In fact, she's attributed to bringing back all of working on the re-entries, the trajectories, from Apollo, through Mercury through Apollo 11, the moon landing. What have we missed? Have we missed that old formula that says, how can we discipline ourselves and grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ so that we can grow and live our lives committed to God and rise to that level where the God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Old Testament teaching. 
Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. We understand that. But again, he said that our righteousness must surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees. Yes, it has to be from the heart. They had a heart problem. It was hard and it was routine. But we get caught up in that as well. But what were they taught? They were taught about giving. And that giving would go back to tithing. And I believe the Gentiles coming in, they, they knew a little bit about giving, but they didn't understand what God said when about the tithe. Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, Genesis. God required a tithe. Why? Because the Levites didn't have any inheritance in the land. That took care of God's people who were taking care of God's people. They took care through the tithe of the Levites. The Levites were to teach and instruct them. That gives a foundation about giving. And that leaves credit to what Jesus said. It is more blessed to give than to receive because they had a benchmark. They had something to go to and an understanding of why God would want it. I know we're not under law. We're under grace. And the tithe is not mandated in the New Testament. Was it taught? I believe it probably was. Just like fasting. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talked about giving. He talked about fasting. He said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward for your, with your Father who is in heaven. When you give to the poor, don't blow the trumpets. They've been seen by men. That's their reward. When you pray, do your praying in secret. Not with many repetitive words. Not with empty words. But pray, and God hears you. And he said, when you pray, pray in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive yours. Give us this day what we need. But when it comes to fasting, he said, whenever you fast, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so they'll be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have, will have, they have their reward in full. When you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that your fasting will be noticed not by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. But notice that first part, that very first word. The first three words. Whenever you fast. Is fasting required in the New Testament? No, it's not required. Was it expected? Jesus is talking to Jewish people here. Were they just going to abandon their fasting practices? What did they learn from fasting? What does one learn from fasting? That there are things more important than eating. That there is time that things are going on that I need to devote myself to reading and meditating and praying with God to focusing on His Word. Because they are big decisions. The early church fasted. Even after the Gentiles were added to the church. The Gentiles knew about fasting from their false pagan worship, but they knew it in a renewed way, I believe, from their Old Testament teaching. What are some others? 
I've only got four of them. Giving, fasting. How about sacrifices? Five major sacrifices in the Old Testament. Five fast sacrifices. Now, they'd be done. There was a sin offering, the peace offering, the grain offering. And those are the only three that jump into my mind right now without turning to Leviticus 1 through 5. I think they're listed. Those sacrifices taught them. Taught them about worship, the whole burnt offering. The guilt offering. Or the sin offering. Saying, I've sinned, I need to restore fellowship. What do we learn about sacrifice? In Romans chapter 12, Paul said, Therefore, brethren, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. When you're a whole bird offering... You cannot be conformed to this world. Paul went on and said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you give yourself totally to God, and that's what the burnt offering was, all those sacrifices were worship-oriented. They were looking forward to Christ. They were looking forward to us in our life, our walk with Christ. Sacrifices were important. Do we do them today? Giving is a sacrifice. Giving of time is a sacrifice. Giving of a time to my family, focusing on their needs and not my needs sometimes can be a sacrifice. It's doing those things unto God. Because He's in control of my life. And then there were special days. When we think of special days in the Old Testament, we might think of the Sabbath, and that's definitely one of them that was a special day. Why do we neglect the Lord's Day? I mean, you're not neglecting it. You're here today. But why do people neglect the Lord's Day? Because they don't know anything and understand it. They don't understand how important it is to their spiritual life and to the body life of the church, or they'd be here. In essence, they're saying no to God. A person, a Jew worked on the Sabbath, they were taken out and stoned. God said, this is the Sabbath day. Remember it. Keep it holy. There was punishment. We don't punish people today for skipping the Lord's day. But I don't think the Jewish, the Gentiles that came into the body of Christ were caught up with worrying about the Sabbath and the Lord's day. Because the teaching of what God required on the Sabbath is a day of rest, As a day of reflection, a day of meditation, a day of saying, I'm not going to do these things of the world that cause me to rely on myself, but I'm going to one day devote it to God. Then there would be special days. There were seven feast days. And I know what Paul said in Romans 14 and 15. If one of you wants to watch his diet and eat meat, great. If one of you wants to eat only vegetables, that's great. You're doing it for yourself unto God. If one of you wants to observe a day special to the Lord, that's great. If one of you wants to observe all days the same, that's great. You do it to the Lord. We're not supposed to judge another man's servant. But the feast days, seven of them, the Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, the day of trumpets, the day of atonement, the day of tabernacles, all of those had a connection to teaching God's people in the Old Testament so they would remember. And when we taught those to the Gentiles... This was saying, this is our culture. This is what, how we learned about God. And we learned to rely on Him. And they could put that into their minds and their character. And did they observe them? Perhaps, perhaps not. 
But at least they had a teaching and understanding of saying, I need to remember what my God has done for me so that I can live holy and godly to Him. And remembering what God has done for me, finding those hidden things in the Old Testament may teach us so that we'll be better Christians living under the New Testament today. Yes, the law was nailed to a Christ. It was nailed to a cross, done away with in Christ. We're not under law, we're under grace. But maybe we've neglected some of the things that God would have us to look at and ponder about that would help us in our Christian walk. And that's my intent in the next four weeks. And if you know of something that I've missed of these four, giving, fasting, special days, sacrifice, let me know. I don't know that the list is exhausted. Those are the ones just off the top of my head. And with a little talk with Kathy as we talked about it. I want to know. Because I think we'll grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. By learning these things and what they taught them and what they taught the early church. Because that's what the early church had to live under. And know, not that they were bound by law, they're under grace. If you're not in the grace of Christ, if you've never obeyed the gospel, his blood hasn't washed your sins away. And you may have come today wanting to know more about Jesus, and this lesson wasn't designed to tell you the fundamental facts of life in Christ and what it meant to get into him. But he is the author and finisher, the perfecter of the faith. He is the sacrifice, an unblemished lamb, spotless before God. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And if you stand in need of Jesus' blood for the first time, to be washed away or to rededicate your life to him in a public way, or rededicate your life while you're sitting there, but do it. Come to Jesus today while together we stand and while we sing. Oh, 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 oh,